It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Interesting story in the Journal Sentinel about the uh, continuing war uh, against drug dealing and how sophisticated drug dealers have become. Nowadays, and this is different than when I was chasing drug dealers a long time ago, nowadays, um, Drug dealers don't operate, as a general rule, out of station. It's not like, I mean, you do, you'll have drug houses, but it's not like drug dealers use landline phones anymore. The, the lifeline of the narcotics business is the cell phone. The word, you know, you'll, you'll put out the word that, uh, okay, so-and-so is a dealer. You call this number, and they will tell you then where to go to pick up your drugs. The, the number is just like, like golden. And the addicts or the buyers get to know what the number is. Well, what happens is that these drug dealers have gotten so sophisticated that once one gets arrested and the cell phone gets seized, apparently they they just have these plans in place where they immediately, immediately uh, transfer the number to a, a different cell phone. So the cell phone that you have... Um, that gets seized by the cops, that ends up being no good anymore, and that number gets transferred to some other cell phone. And it happens, they say, sometimes like in, in a matter of, of an hour or two because there's this network that is set up. And so now the story in the paper talks about how the uh, law enforcement are actually going in and they're getting court orders that allow them to not only seize the cell phone but also to freeze the cell phone so that you can't change th- those numbers. And they're, they're working diligently on that. And I applaud it. I mean, it's a good step. As I read this, though, I, I will tell you, I wonder what the responsibility and the role of these cell phone companies are in this. And, and again, I, I understand that you're in business and you're in business to service customers and things like that. But at the same time, I don't know, you have suspicious activity. People who have I don't know, registered a whole series of cell phones, and then all of a sudden they're running in at the last minute saying, we need to change this one to another number, and we need to do it right away. You wonder what the responsibility of the cell phone company should be in the first place as to complying with that. So I'm just saying it's a new tactic that's being used, and it's an effective tactic as well. But this is one where you wonder if the cell phone companies themselves need to take some responsibility. All right, we start off today's program like we start off every program, three big things. Story number one, they have been talking about it for quite a while. Two Democratic congressmen introduced an article of impeachment yesterday against President Trump, accusing him of obstruction of justice over his firing of former FBI Director James Comey. The resolution says Trump prevented, obstructed, and impeded the investigation of former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn by threatening and then terminating Comey. Um, The resolution was introduced by a representative, a Democratic representative from Texas and a Democratic representative from California. They're now going to, they say their plan is to force the House Judiciary Committee to hold hearings on obstruction of justice and Russian interference in the election. Um, 414. And, of course, there's not any obligation that House leadership has to proceed in this fashion. The resolution calls for Trump to be impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors. It says Trump's conduct warrants impeachment and trial 
and removal from office. In all of this, this is the petition, Donald John Trump has acted in a manner contrary to his trust as president and subversive of the constitutional government, to the great prejudice of the cause of law and justice, and to the manifest injury of the people of the United States. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Many more mainstream Democrats have been urging these two not to go down this route, saying that impeachment right now, this this talk, even throwing this around, makes them appear like they're loony and that it is not helpful. But I know that there's some out there saying, yep, this is it. We've, we've got to get rid of Donald Trump. This is it. Impeach, impeach, impeach. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to this, I, I will tell you, just to start off, I, I think this is crazy, and I understand why so many more common sense, more sane, and more sober Democrats were saying, look, this is not the way to go. There's nothing out there right now that suggests that Donald Trump committed an impeachable offense. I understand that there's people who don't like his style. I understand there's people who don't like the substance. But impeachment, I mean, really, high crimes and misdemeanors at this point – and moreover, I think it again, it is an incredible distraction, and it shows how this Trump derangement syndrome is stopping us from getting some progress done on the important issues of the day. All right, 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually think politically this is a mistake. I understand that it appeals to maybe the hardcore left. Politically, is it a mistake? Legally, it is a mistake. Just a bad idea and no basis at this point in time. That's what I think. What do you think? 414-799-1620 is the number. We're back to discuss in just a moment. It's 841. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 845. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Roger Waters brings us his Us and Them tour to the BMO Harris, BMO Harris, BMO Harris Bradley Center on July 29th. That's a Saturday. And we're giving you a chance to win a pair of tickets all this week and all next week. Be listening to my show sometime between 830 and noon each day. And you could be enjoying the music of Roger Waters featuring songs from Pink Floyd right here on 620 WTMJ. All right. They've been threatening to do this for for a while yesterday, two Democratic representatives introduced articles of impeachment. They want the House Judiciary Committee to hold impeachment hearings alleging that President Trump obstructed justice. I think politically, while this is perhaps red meat for the hard left, politically, bad idea, and in the real world, an even worse idea. Let's start with Scott New Berlin. Scott, you're first. Good morning. Um, I just think it's the dichotomy of politics today uh there was a short time ago where they were gonna impeach hillary clinton for emails and benghazi and those investigations went away after the election if it was hillary clinton did any of these things they would be screaming for impeachment but we support our side whether blue or red no matter what we don't care if they're grabbing stuff if they're shooting people in the street benghazi emails nobody cares what their side does. And that's why, basically, we will never have a functioning government in the near future when there is no semblance of decency or expectations from our elected officials. 
Well, I mean, I guess I, I don't, I mean, Scott, I'm not sure I agree with you. I mean, I, I don't know. For, first of all, well, well, it's under the radar screen. There's actually a lot of stuff that, that is getting done, and we're going to be talking about that over the course of the next couple of days. Now, I understand if, you know, you, you've got the Democrats right now who are, who are obsessed with Russia. Russia, 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 Russia. That, that's, that, that's, that's it. And I, as I've said before, while I don't think there's any criminal evidence for any criminal activity, I, some of the stuff, I mean, what is Donald Trump Jr. really doing taking this meeting? So, but I, I understand optics and things like that. But the truth of the matter is... We, we have become completely divided. There's no effort at all to try to work across the aisle. I concede that. But even having acknowledged that, it's one thing to say, okay, we're, we're just, are ideologically poles apart and we can't reach agreement. It's another thing to say, okay, we're, we're going to try to impeach the president. And what I think is interesting about this whole effort is that, again, not even not even the mainstream Democrats. And this is the problem that the Democratic Party has right now, because you've got what I'm going to describe as the grownups. You've got the more sane, sober Democrats who see electoral opportunities. They say, okay, well, maybe, you know, we're looking at these poll numbers and there's dissatisfaction with Donald Trump and maybe we can pick up the 20-some seats we need in the House to take back control of the House and and maybe in the next election we can swing a couple seats even though the electoral map doesn't look good for us and we've got a chance to take control of the U.S. Senate. But, 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 our concern, I think, that for the sane and sober, the grown-ups in the Democratic Party, is that they don't want to get distracted on this this chasing at windmills type of stuff. Because just like, and I, I go back to the analogy of, of the whole debate about Act 10, when Scott Walker rolls out Act 10, I think reasonable people could have said, okay, maybe this goes too far, you know, maybe we don't need to completely eliminate collective bargaining rights, all that type of stuff. But the reaction... The hysterical reaction was so out of proportion to what was going on that I think that there were a lot of mainstream or independent voters who looked at this and said, this is nuts. You mean we've got all these union activists who are pouring in from all over the country and staging these takeovers of the state capitol, and you've got the Democratic senators who are heading to Illinois all because – well, okay, some people are going to have to contribute more to their health insurance plans and their retirement plans. It was so completely and totally out of proportion to what was going on that there ended up being a backlash. I think the sane, sober Democrats, the grown-ups, are concerned about stuff like this, and they're concerned about the American public saying, well, okay, you know, maybe we think it was dumb what Trump did in this regard, or maybe we don't like the tweets or whatever, but this idea that you're talking about impeaching him for high crimes and misdemeanors, it ends up being a distraction. And just like I have been critical of the Trump administration for the, the tweets and things like that that I think take the eye off the prize, that end up distracting lawmakers from what is the important business of this country, which is trying to figure out how you're going to fix health care and trying to figure out where our tax reform is going to be and trying to make sure that we have strong national defense and national security and fighting the war on terrorism. And instead, it's like Russia, 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 Russia. Just like I'm concerned that the, the Trump administration has kind of fed into that with some of the tweets and some of the distractions and caused people to take their eye off the ball. This is the same sort of thing, because there's no basis at all for impeachment at this point in time i don't think there's ever going to be basis for a basis for impeachment and the political reality is as long as the republicans at least for the next you know year and a half as long as the republicans control uh, congress 
There's not going to be any hearings in front of the Judiciary Committee unless there's some smoking gun that's out there that I don't think any of us believe. And I understand that some of the people with the tinfoil hats don't want to accept that, but that's just the reality of this. So the notion of impeachment, come on, come on. I mean, move on. Candidly, from a conservative perspective, it's... If I were the Republicans, I'd be talking a lot about this because, to me, it demonstrates, again, how out of control some of the people on the other side are. And I think some of the sane, sober, grown-up Democrats appreciate that as well. Big story number one, impeachment articles have now been filed. My guess is they're going to go straight into that circular file um, next to the clerk's office. But that's just my guess. It's 851. When we come back, big thing number two. We're talking about the involvement of kids in government. Stick around. It's 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, the food, the culture, the fun. John McCure has the story of Milwaukee's Bastille Days during Wisconsin's afternoon news beginning at 3 o'clock here on WTMJ. Be sure to check that out. Okay, big story number two. A lot of focus in the last couple days over Donald Trump Jr., and his inexplicable decision to set up this meeting with this Russian lawyer. Again, as, as I explained yesterday, again, for, for some people, they need to take off the tinfoil hats. While I think it's bad optics and while he shouldn't have done it, that this idea that this is a criminal activity, it, it just I, I don't think any sane, responsible prosecutor would bring charges based on this. I'm not at all convinced that saying, hey, I've got dirt um, I want to share is an in-kind contribution in any way, shape, or form. And I'm not sure it's ever been treated as such. And if it is, I think you're going to have a lot of uh, politicians on both sides of the aisles who might be looking at being criminally charged themselves. So I don't believe that he committed a crime, but it, it, was, a, it was a dumb thing to do. And we'll talk a little bit later on about you know whether or not some grown-ups in the room should have stopped that. But it does raise the, this sort of larger issue. And I want to be consistent here. During the Clinton administration... Bill Clinton rightfully, in my opinion, took a lot of heat for turning over the health care discussion and debate to to his wife, the, the first lady, who was at the time unelected, wasn't a senator from New York, wasn't secretary of state. But it, it became, you know, Hillary Clinton's health care initiative. And I think what a number of us found that it was extremely just unseemly to say, okay, I'm going to take a family member and I'm going to have them invested in trying to shape national policy. And candidly, I think Bill Clinton would tell you that it ended up being a mistake to do that. So now flash forward. We're we're in 2017. You've got the Trump administration. Now I get where this is coming from. Donald Trump, CEO of his own privately held company. And, you know, he it's a family-run business. He has surrounded himself with family members, his kids, his, um, you know, their, his kids, you know, their um, their spouses like this Jared Kushner. And, and, and that's that if you're running a privately owned business, I, I understand that your succession plan is, hey, my son, my daughter are going to take over. They're going to be filling in for me when I'm out on when I'm un- unavailable. You know, talk to my daughter, talk to my son, talk to my son-in-law. That's how you operate a family-held business. I get it. But being the president of the United States is not the same as running a family-held business. And you have one situation after another where you've got, for example, Jared Kushner, who is the the son-in-law. 
Um, there's questions about whether he has a, a security clearance or what that security clearance is. He's taking all sorts of meetings. Uh, Ivanka Trump is at the G20 things, and they're at the summit. And typically what happens when the president leaves, you have a government official take his spot. It would be the secretary of state. Well, in this case, Ivanka Trump, the daughter, plops her butt in the chair and, you know, participates in lieu of her father. I think, you know, fair is fair. And I understand that there's some people out there who, again, just hate anything that Donald Trump and the Trump family does. And I think that's over the top. And I also understand that there's people who say, okay, well, there's no big deal here. You know, that the media is just out to get Donald Trump. And I think that there is some of that as well. But I will tell you, watching the role of the family, this kind of insular thing where unelected family members are starting to play a role and a defined role in operating the government of the United States gives me pause. Do I think it's impeachable? No. But it's one of these things that, again, is leading to a number, I think, of the problems that the president is having, where you have, again, once again, family members. It's not the secretary of state. It's not the attorney general. You wonder who it is that is making decisions. And we didn't elect the daughter. We didn't elect the son-in-law. We didn't elect the son. You elected Donald Trump as the president. And I understand he wants to rely on family members, but when you're president, it's different than when you're running the country. He needs to learn that. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 908. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, This ongoing debate about the state transportation budget, one, and I... And the reality is, I think Assembly Republican leadership, while still obstructing a budget, is starting to come around to the notion that their Republicans do not get elected to go to Madison to raise taxes. So um, the, the idea, I think they're starting to realize that uh, tax increases are, are just not going to be part of this budget. And I would say to Republican Assembly leadership, if you want to. Um, a year and a half from now, go to your constituents and run on policies that you're going to go to Madison and raise their taxes. Uh, go with God. Just go go do it. Bring that issue up in the primaries and see how many people get out of Republican primaries running on a tax increase budget. But I digress. One of the hesitations that a number of us have had about the, the transportation needs has been the, the question about whether or not there are efficiencies that you can continue to capture in the Department of Transportation that would save money. See, I've always believed that the tax increases are a last step, and you do it only after you have exhausted everything else, only after you are, in fact, convinced that, you know, there's nothing to be cut, there's nothing we can do to make an agency run more efficiently. And, and then, all right, maybe then you have to look at, as a last measure, increasing taxes. In my opinion, we are nowhere close to that when it comes to the operation of the Department of Transportation. From roundabouts to cost overruns, I think there is a lot of waste that is in the Department of Transportation budget. And there are a handful of lawmakers who are introducing a package today, a Department of Transportation reform bill, which if passed would, well, it would bring us in line with at least a number of other states. 
and would probably lead to, at least potentially lead to, the reduction, um, substantial reduction in construction costs and completion times. And we're going to be talking to one of the authors of that legislation coming up around 1035 or so. But again, it's one of these things that, that to me, you know, ends up making sense. Before you start talking about going to the taxpayers and expecting them to pay more, you have to make sure that you've done everything you possibly can to make sure an agency is running as efficiently as possible. And I just don't think that's the way the Department of Transportation bids projects and does projects. So um, we'll be talking to one of the state representatives who's introducing that coming up about 10.35. All right, big story number three, and this is a big story. The debate about right-to-work laws in Wisconsin effectively ended yesterday. Now, you will recall, a couple years ago, um, Wisconsin became one of, uh, I think there's now 28 states, I could be off by one or two, but became you know one of 28, 27, 29 states to pass a right-to-work law. The right-to-work law in Wisconsin says... Essentially, that as a condition of employment, you cannot be required to join a a union or to pay union dues. The unions challenged that. They they said, okay, well, what this means is, you know, you're sticking us with a bunch of of free riders. Because under federal law, unions are required to represent everybody in a work unit, even those who don't belong to the labor group. So the unions are saying, hey, this isn't fair to us. We have to represent people, um, but yet we we don't get compensated for that. We should be able to require membership. Um, the case was brought before the United States. It went to district court here in Milwaukee, and the federal district judge held against the unions in large part because a couple years ago, the Court of Appeals had looked at an almost identical law out of Indiana and rejected the union's arguments. They essentially said, well, look, this isn't an unfair taking because here's the deal. Unions, yes, you have to represent people who aren't your members and aren't paying dues, but still you have the right to do the exclusive bargaining. Those individual members, they can't, but those people who don't choose to belong to the union, they can't cut their own side deals. So you still have that power. That's what you get out of this. You have the exclusive right to negotiate for your people, and the other people are essentially stuck. They end up tagging along. That's the that's what they give up. And so the Court of Appeals said there's no problem with this. So the unions in Wisconsin challenge this. The federal judge says, well, no, the, the Court of Appeals has already decided this. They've reviewed the same essential law. I'm not getting involved. They appealed it to the Court of Appeals, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, saying, we think, judges, with all due respect, you were wrong when you decided this Indiana case. We want you to, we agree that the Wisconsin law is pretty much identical to the Indiana law, but we think you were wrong, and we want you to change your mind. And the Court of Appeals said yesterday, no, we are not changing our mind. Now, there's probably going to be a case that goes to, I'm sure they're going to appeal it to the United States Supreme Court. I doubt the Supreme Court will take it, and if the Supreme Court does take it, I doubt seriously that they will reverse it. So effectively, in Wisconsin, um, we became a right-to-work state a couple years ago, and now, for all practical purposes, the, the courts have upheld that. You cannot be forced to join a union as a condition of employment. 
right? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You do, however, have to continue to be bound. If you're, if you're working in a place that um, has a union, that's a union shop, you don't have to join. You can't be forced to join. You can't be forced to pay dues. But at the same time, you, you also don't have the right to bargain independently. You're stuck with whatever the union does. So that's still the benefit. I mean, if, if for union members, they still have the exclusive right to bargain. If you're a non-union member, you just get dragged along with them. That's the, the trade-off that exists. But we've had right to work now in this state for a couple years. We're going to have it for the foreseeable future, I think, because the courts have made it clear. I don't think that this has had a devastating effect. Um, candidly, I mean, I think businesses continue to operate. I think this makes unions have to convince people of their worth. 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, I think, an interesting time to revisit this whole right-to-work concept. Should you be forced, as a condition of employment, to be a member of a union? I think not. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 916. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 918, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Roger Waters brings us his Us and Them Tour. Brings his Us and Them Tour to the BMO Harris-Bradley Center on Saturday, July 29th. And we're giving you a chance to win a pair of tickets all this week and next week. Be listening to this program between 8.30 and noon. And you could be enjoying the music of Roger Waters featuring songs from Pink Floyd. How cool is that? Right here on 620 WTMJ. Uh, To the extent that there was any question about whether or not Wisconsin would remain a right-to-work state for the foreseeable future. That was ended yesterday by a decision out of the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit who rejected a union challenge to the state's right-to-work law. The unions made essentially the free rider argument because the right-to-work law says nobody can be forced as a condition of employment to join a union or to pay union membership fees. All right. Uh, union said, well, th- this is this is unfair because under federal law, if we're the exclusive bargaining agent, we have to we have to represent these people, even though they're not members of the union. And what the court said was, well, OK, yes, that's true, but it's not an unfair taking because you still get a value. You have the exclusive right to represent these people, regardless of whether they're members or not. They can't cut their own deals. So you still get value out of this. Unions aren't happy with it, but it is the law and it is going to be sustained. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right to work has been in this state for a couple years now. And when the law was originally passed, you had a number of people, again, it was sort of this hysterical reaction, this is going to destroy the Wisconsin economy. This is going to end the middle class. And the reality is that has not happened. Now, what's happened is... From the perspective of the unions, it has required them to demonstrate their worth to the potential members. They have demonstrated this idea that, hey, you know, if, if you want to if you want to join, if you want to sign up, if you want to be part of the union and make the decisions as to, hey, if we're going to be doing bargaining or whatever, if you want to have a seat at the table, right, you, you, you've got to be a member 
um, or otherwise you just kind of like come along. Yes, it's true you kind of come along, but you don't have any role. You can't go there and say, hey, no, this is what's important to me. So the unions have had to, admittedly, they've had to try to figure out a way to demonstrate their value to the various employees. And the unions who've been able to do that, well, they just do fine. Otherwise, you know, if you're not able to demonstrate the value to the employees, well, then you end up do then, you know, people make the decision that they're not going to join. But that's not a problem with the law. That's a problem with the union not being able to convince the membership that there is, in fact, a value. So big story number three, right to work. It is the law. It will be the law. And I think at least for the foreseeable future, like I say, unless somebody unless somebody um, takes this case to the Supreme Court, um, I, I think it's pretty clear that uh, it's not going to happen. Okay, 414-799-1620, right to work is the law. Al in Plymouth. Al, you're first. Good morning. Uh, good morning there, Jeff. Uh I guess my only comment there is that if a person wants to apply for a job and you don't want to pay union dues, why go to a union shop? Well, because maybe that's where the job is. Let's say you live in let's say you live in Plymouth and you're a metal fabricator and the the closest there's a metal fabricator that has jobs that are available um couple within a mile of your home and you're a perfect fit. And it happens to be a union shop. I guess I, I, I can I can easily understand why somebody would would want to go to an employer, regardless of whether it's a union shop or not. I, I just don't see the uh, necessity for the law. If there's, there's plenty of jobs around, some are non-union, many are non-union. So why go to a union shop and apply there? Well, I guess again, I mean, I, I don't know how to answer it. I'll, I don't know how to answer it any better than, than that. It's it, it's. It's because you want the. It's because you want the job. Um, I, I'm, you're a metal, like I said, you're a sheet metal fabricator. All right, you've, you know, you've been working in that in that trade for years. You, the place you worked at has just closed down, or or whatever. And you know, you're looking for a job, and there's a place close to you that you know hires people that do what you want to do. You don't want to join the union, but you want to work at the job. I guess I mean I I understand why somebody. They, they want the job. They don't care about the union one way or the other, but they don't want to be forced to join. I mean, I don't know that there's this dynamic. Maybe there is. I've never worked in the trades, but I don't know that there's this dynamic that goes on. You think, oh, this is a union shop or this isn't a union shop. It's Is there is there a job to be had? I think that's why people would be attracted you know, to that. And if it's mandatory union membership, well, okay, then I guess, which it used to be, then you have to sign up and you have to go uh, along. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Ralph, who's calling us from the Third Ward. Ralph, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? Well, I think we ought to talk about what this really is. The okay. words right to work sound great. But what we're really talking about is an attempt to weaken the unions because of the judgment that uh, as between the power balance between the business and the union, it's better to have a weaker union, stronger employer. So I don't think that this is really about protecting the rights of somebody not to belong to union, it's a way to make unions weaker. Well, but as a practical matter, if if the worker 
the worker is ultimately the one that decides. And if if the worker decides they want to join the union, then they can can join the union. I mean, it's it, it, and now I understand the effect is that there's going to be some people who, if they're not forced to join the union, are going to choose not to. But is that really isn't that a problem that the union has by not being able to demonstrate why it's got value to the employer employee? So my my point is a different one. It's I don't think this this legislation is passed because anybody was concerned about the worker. And all poor workers who had to pay union dues when they didn't want to, mm-hmm. rather by not requiring workers to join the union, right. they get the benefit of whatever wages the union is able to negotiate. Right. But they don't have to pay the dues. So the- you think it's an effort to weaken the unions? That's, then you think that's what this wasn't pro worker. It was an effort to to weaken the unions. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think so. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, look, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I, I understand that that's probably an effect, that that is an effect as as well. At the same time, I also don't think it's fair, though, to say that there's nothing pro-worker uh, about this. And, you know, keep in mind, you know, you were talking about the, the employee, the individual employee, getting the benefit of having the union bargain for them. Well, the problem with that is what that employee even under right to work, gives up is the ability to go in and bargain for themselves. The employee who's working in the union shop, um, whether they if, if they choose not to be a part of the union, they can't still go out and cut their own deal. They can't say, hey, you know what, I'm a lot better than 85% of the people we have working here. I want to cut a side deal. I mean, I want you to pay me more per hour than you're paying. You, you don't have a seat at the bargaining table when you're negotiating these things if you're not a member of, of the union. So to that extent, um, th- there is the, the non-union employee is giving up something. Um, let's talk to Scott in Wapaka. Scott, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention about uh, what you just got done talking about. You know, if somebody doesn't want to be in the union, they should have no rights to be represented by the union. They should be actually on a lower pay scale, and there should be no um, job security. They should be the first one to be axed, and they have no nothing to rebuttal on. Why would you put them? I'm curious. Just secure, I'm just curious. Why would you put them on a lower pay scale? What you know? Because um, the flip side would be, all right. Maybe they shouldn't they be allowed to? Now they're not under the law, but shouldn't they be allowed to negotiate separately? Maybe maybe they're a better employee. Just maybe. Um, shouldn't they be able because, to cut their own deal? Because that's what these uh, manufacturers want. They want to be able to uh, to force. The workers cheap get cheaper labor mm-hmm. without the union. That that's what this whole thing is all about. They don't want to pay the high union scale pay. So they have the workers who doesn't want don't want to be in the union. There's no bargaining rights. The employer will tell them this is what we're going to pay you, and that's that. They have nothing to to complain about. Well, if except they get a lower pay rate, and if they get axed, there's nothing that they can do about it. Well, but you I, know? but I mean, I think, well, but but yes and no. I, I mean, that look, there, there's all sorts of people who work in non-union shops 
who do just fine. They they can they negotiate. Look, I I, I negotiate my own deals. You know, with with station management. You know, you can set up your your own benefits. I mean, it, it's it's not like. That you you need a union necessarily to protect you, and even under right to work, what you give up is you give up the ability to negotiate separately. So when you say, okay, they they, they should be paid lower, or management wants to pay them lower, no, management's going to have to pay what the free market bears. We've touched a nerve with this. We're going to do it for one more segment. Um, hang on, if you're on the line, it's nine twenty nine. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 936, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Let's talk to Dave in Appleton. Dave, thanks for waiting. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Right to work is exactly what it says it is. It's a right to work. I have the right to work for an employer and not have my union dues support issues that I don't support. Yep. And if I don't like my job... I'll find a different one. And if my employer is not paying me a fair wage for what my skill level is, I'll find a different job. I don't want my union dues supporting something I don't support, and that's the bottom line, and that's what it was all about. How do you respond, though, to the, the what I'm calling the free rider argument? The argument that says, okay, Dave, you, you've got the, this union in place. They are required by federal law to represent you. They negotiate wages for you. They negotiate benefits for you, and yet you don't have to belong to that. Does that strike you as being fair? Yes, because it's a democracy. If enough people don't pay you, then you're going to change your... Right. The way you're doing business and maybe get more support. If you're if the union is supporting what I believe in, I'll give them I'll donate yep. to their uh, their causes. I'll just like I donate to uh one particular political yep. party over another because I believe in what they stand for. If the union wants more money, get with the program and support what the majority of your uh, employees want. Yeah. Now thanks. I mean again, this is the, I mean, the, the, this the, you do have that kind of free rider argument. I, see, I deal with this in a slightly different context. In Wisconsin, in, as a condition of practicing law, you must belong to the state bar of Wisconsin. We have what I think the term is integrated bar. So every year, as a condition of keeping my law license current, and I keep my law license current even though I don't act- actively practice law, but I keep it current, I have to write a check to the state bar of Wisconsin for whatever the, the fees are. I don't have a choice between belonging to the bar or not. If I want to have a law license, you got to belong. And there's been an ongoing debate in Wisconsin for years and years about whether or not that should be the case because there's a lot of states that make a, a, the bar optional. Now, candidly, even if it was even if it was optional because i think the state bar offers all sorts of things of value both to me and to the profession the truth is even if i didn't have to belong i think i probably would now i've always quite candidly i mean I, i've sort of resented the idea that you have to belong because i don't think that I, that should be a requirement but it is but having said that i'd probably belong anyways because the state bar of wisconsin has sort of convinced me that they offer a value um that to me is what the, the unions have to do they have to offer that value they have to convince people that you know there is a reason for them to belong. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the number. Let's talk to um, Carol in Plymouth. Carol, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi Jeff. Hi Carol. You're very um, 
that I disagree with you, but That's okay. I do disagree with you on this. If we, Carol, if we agreed all the time, life would be boring. That is what I always say. <laughs> well, I have worked for both. I mean, when I first got my job, it was, you know, you had to join the union. But I'll tell you, now with pulling that out, okay, fine. If they want to make it so you don't have to join the union, then I'm sorry. The union should not have to represent them. Mm-hmm. If they get fired, then they should get their own lawyer. If I belong to the union, I paid my dues, they're going to use their lawyer and represent me. Why should they have to represent the guy that's not paying? That's me, just plain wrong. I'm sorry. Let me ask you this, Carol. Do you think, now, the, the reason the reason that that's the law is because federal law says you have to represent, you know, everybody. Would you support a change in the federal law that said, all right, unions only have to support their me- they only have to represent their members and that would allow people who weren't members to kind of cut their own deals. Would you be in favor of something like that? Yeah, I think that would be fine. If you don't want that union, you know, to represent you, you know, there was a company, I won't say what it was, but they had one side of the building was union and the other wasn't and guess what? The one that wasn't was getting a lot less wage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't that then be an incentive under those circumstances for people to, to then want to join the union, if that right. was the case? All right. But see, you're not doing that. You're but, you're screwing over the union because they're getting the they're getting all the benefits without having to pay a cent. Well, right. I guess, but but they also, I mean, thanks, Nicole. But they're also they're, they're also stuck in in the union. They're also, and I look, this isn't a union bashing thing. It's just kind of reality. They're they're also, they give up their right to individual choice in things. They give up the right that, for example, I have. We're not a union shop here. They give up the right that if I, if they don't have the right to walk into the general manager's office and say, hey, look, this is where the show is doing. I want more money. If you want me to continue working here, this is what I'm I'm going to do. You give up various rights. You are pretty much stuck with, you know, whatever comes out of the union shop. I think it's an interesting question. And candidly, you know, on a federal level, if you were looking at legislation which would eliminate, look at the National Labor Relations Act, eliminate the obligation of unions to represent non-union members in right-to-work states, I think I would support that. I, I think I would. I'm not sure union leadership would, but I think I probably would for exactly the reasons you're saying, Carol. It's 946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Some of baseball's so-called experts have been leery of the Brewers' ability to hold on to their National League Central lead. They're five and a half games in first place against the head of the Cubs and the Cardinals as they come out of the All-Star break tomorrow. Are they right to expect a collapse? Greg Matzik doesn't think so, and he'll explain why. That is tonight on Sports Central. It starts at 6.07. Be sure to tune in. Greg does an absolutely outstanding job. Um, that, that music, of course... That's Pink Floyd. And as we've been telling you, Roger Waters is bringing his Us and Them tour to the BMO Harris Bradley Center on Saturday, July 29th. Um, I am going to be giving away a pair of tickets each day um, during my show for the balance of this week, which would be today and tomorrow, and all of next week. And 
This is the opportunity. 414-799-1620. Caller number 15. 414-799-1620. Caller number 15 wins a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters featuring songs from Pink Floyd at the BMO Harris Bradley Center on Saturday, July 29th. Caller 15. All right. Um, coming up in less than 40 minutes, uh, during the 930 newscast, Jane was talking about how there's a bill that's being introduced in the state legislature that would essentially tighten up the way the Department of Transportation does business. And there's a number of interesting components to it. We're going to be talking to one of the authors of that bill at 1035 today. We're also at 9 o'clock tomorrow. We're scheduled to be joined by the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Paul Ryan. So um, got a lot of interesting things that I would like to talk to Congressman Ryan about. So tune in for that. One of the, um, you know, I understand that people, some people are obsessed. It's Russia, it's Russia, it's Russia. You know, did Russia meddle in the elections? Yes, they did. Is this an impeachable offense? Was the Trump tied up? No, it's it's not. But there, there's other, like, real things that are going on in the world that affect us. And one is this initiative for health care reform. The Senate um, plans to vote sometime next week on their health care reform package, which is going to be markedly different from the House is packaged. So whatever the Senate does, it then goes to a conference committee and they try to work things out. It's still very much up in the air as to whether or not that vote is going to happen and whether or not there's enough Republican votes to pass it. Here's the deal. There are 52 Republican senators. You're going to get no support from the Democrats or the independents. So there's going to be no support for them. So that means Mitch McConnell, Senate leader, can only afford to lose two votes. Um, because if it's 50-50, the vice president, Mike Pence, gets to break the tie. But if you lose more than two Republican votes, um, it, it, it's doomed. And they've already apparently lost those two votes. And this is this is why, in some respects, trying to make policy is like herding cats. Um, the two Republicans who appear committed to voting against it are vote, have, have positions that are completely and totally different. Um, Rand Paul, who's the senator from Kentucky, you know, he's saying he's not voting to take up the bill because he doesn't think it goes anywhere near far enough in order to reverse Obamacare. So this is Obamacare light. You know, I, I didn't get sent to, to the Senate to, you know, I got sent to the Senate to repeal Obamacare. This is Obamacare light. It doesn't go far enough. On the other hand, you have Susan Collins, who's a Republican senator from Maine, and, and she says, hey, this is, um, you know, th- this is too much. We're cutting too much. We're changing too much from what's going on. I can't support this. So you got, you got, you've apparently, based on their comments, you've already lost two Republican senators for completely opposite reasons. So uh, you're down to, you know, perhaps a, a bare 50-50 majority, and then the vice president gets to break the tie. Um, what is in the bill is still a little bit unclear. I will tell you one thing that I would like to see in the bill, and I understand that there's some people who are extremely upset about this, but I think this would go a long way towards reining in costs. Under Obamacare, there are, of course, all sorts of mandatory forms of of coverage. 
There, there is no choice. The, these policies that are offered under the Affordable Care Act and also the policies that now have to be offered by insurers through employment, employment things, there are certain minimum things that they have to have. They have to offer the birth control coverage. They have to offer maternity coverage. They have to offer mental health care. There's all these different requirements. That never used to be the case. It used to be that you could pick and choose um, among different policies what it was that, that you wanted or needed. Now, I understand that health care, and we have uh, we have our winner for our Pink Floyd tickets, for our Roger Waters tickets. Lynn in Milwaukee is our winner. Enjoy the show. We will have more tickets to give away tomorrow and all next week. But it, it used to be. And I understand health insurance is different than automobile insurance, so I understand that. But when you when you go out and you shop for automobile insurance, what you do is is maybe you call up your insurance agent, maybe you call up the general or one of those online things, and you you figure out what it is that you need. How much liability insurance do I think I need? Do I want to carry collision insurance or not? What levels do I want? Do I want uninsured motorist? How? What is the level of that that I'm going to have? What deductibles that I have to pay? And you can make a decision. It might be like, for example, collision coverage. Collision protects you um, if your car is damaged in an automobile accident. There's always kind of there's a deductible that you have to pay out of pocket. But after why afterwards the insurance company takes care of that. Maybe you say. You know what? Um, my car isn't worth that much. I don't want to have collision coverage. I, I'm, I, if the car is only worth three or four thousand dollars, I don't want to pay the premium because after the deductible, it's not worth it. I, I just won't have collision coverage, and I'll recognize that if something comes along and my car is totaled, all right, I, I'm not going to be able to recover for for that. All right, so you make those choices and you decide what's right for you. Now, I understand, again, automobile insurance is different than health insurance, but it used to be with health insurance, you could pick and choose. You could say, all right, I don't, I don't need a policy that offers maternity coverage. I'm 60 years old. I'm not having kids. I'm, you know, I, there's no reason for me to have to pay for that. I, I don't need it. And it used to be you could able to make those decisions and you could get policies that were tailored to your needs. No more. No more. That's not the case anymore. So one of the proposals that's out there, it actually comes from from Ted Cruz out of Texas. And he says he wants part of any reform to include something that would allow insurers to sell less comprehensive plans than are required by Obamacare as long as they offer one plan that has everything in it. You know, but they would allow consumers to decide, I, I don't need the maternity benefits, so why should I have to pay for something that I will never use? I Now, there's some people that say, that's just going to drive up costs, etc. But the truth is, to me, that's more of a free market sort of option. I would like to see anything that comes out of the Senate have something like that in it. Um, there's no question it's going to make some changes to Medicaid. The most recent Senate proposal, and this is what's getting all sorts of ire from Rand Paul, is apparently um, they have decided that they're going to preserve two of the Obamacare taxes that are imposed on so-called high-income people in order to help pay for that. But, um, you know, we'll have to see. The devil's in the details. Here's the reality, though, and I appreciate how difficult it is to get rid of an entitlement once an entitlement has been put in place. But the truth of the matter is that Obamacare is crumbling. It is unsustainable. You have insurers that are pulling out of markets right and left. 
Part of it, I concede, is because of the uncertainty. But the larger part is they can't figure out a way to make money out of this the way that it is set up now. You need to have, whether you call it repeal and replace or major reform, you need to do that. Or the whole idea of people being able to get private insurance in this country is just going to completely and totally go away. So there's all sorts of things you can do. The Senate appears ready to vote on something next week. Uh, Whether or not they're able to get enough votes to put it through is, of course, an open question. Um, There's some people who would kind of cynically suggest do nothing. Just do nothing, let Obamacare collapse, and then a year or two from now, I mean, maybe some Democrats will see the problem and want to come on board and help out. I I don't know that that's realistic, and I don't know that you can simply let it collapse because you have various states where there's not even policies that are available or there won't be unless you do something. But um, you can tell that doing something is going to be hard. It's going to be an act of political courage. It's going to be a profile and courage. It'll be interesting to see where the Wisconsin senators come down on this. It's 956. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, um, this news broke during the program yesterday, and there, there is a larger issue. Brennan's Market, which has been an institution in this area and in Wisconsin over for the last, gosh, I don't know, 60, 70 years, announced that they were closing all the stores, their stores. They say they just can't compete. I think that raises this larger issue about how we're going to be getting food moving forward and what it says about local businesses being able to compete. We're going to talk about that. And then coming up in about 25 minutes, we're going to be joined by one of the architects of this new bill that's out there to reform the Wisconsin Department of Transportation. That is all coming up. Stick around. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner. Ten oh eight, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jane, did you ever shop at Brennan's Market? Yes, I did. Yeah, with the chin dripping peaches. Remember yes, that stuff? yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can always. They had such wonderful produce, and the wine section wasn't bad. And they had really wonderful <laughs> cheeses, and the wine section was pretty nice. <laughs> I think. Okay, if, if anybody's wondering what to get Jane Matinier for her birthday or for any sort of special occasion, the wine section wasn't bad, yeah, huh? Was nice. Is there a particular type of wine just for anybody who might? Uh, a nice uh, Chardonnay is always good. Nice Chardonnay, mm-hmm. oaked or unoaked? Uh, I can do oaked. She can do oaked. Okay, all right. So, that's good. I'm flexible. That Hunter, way, so. let's let's write that down for for <laughs> for Jane's Christmas card list. Okay, yes, you're, we're making that note. Okay, all right. Now, I, I um, I, the, the story it, it came out yesterday, and I made a reference to it, but I actually I want to use this as a launching point for a larger topic. And coming up in about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, we're going to be joined by one of the architects of this new bill to reform the State Department of Transportation, um, a long overdue um, effort, in my opinion, but we'll be talking about that. But, I mean, Brennan's Market, um, five five stores, uh, Brookfield, what Oconomowoc, and a couple others scattered throughout the area. They employ about um, 150 people. They announced yesterday that they are closing all their their stores effective September 30th. Um, it's 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 unfortunate in a way because in more than one way because people are going to lose their jobs. But also Brennan's has been an institution. It's a 75 year old company, and they are being upfront about the reasons why they are deciding to close. They're just saying that um, they just their business model does not allow them to compete. Um, as as Jane was talking about. 
they they had sort of developed a, a niche. They were a full service grocery store, but you know they specialized in the produce and the cheeses and and the liquor department. They found themselves, I think, in many respects, well, sort of a a, a country, an, an island in the, the whole shopping area. Because I mean, what what you have is you have a number of the big particularly national retailers who come in and because of their size, they are able to offer the same products that Brennan's did. And they're able to offer hundreds of more products that, that Brennan's you know, just not did not because of the economies of scale. So like for example at the Brennan's market, let's take cereal. You know, you, you go in and in the cereal aisle, maybe they're able to offer I haven't been in Brennan's shopping for cereal for a long time, but maybe they're able to offer I don't know, 10, 15, 20 different types of brands of cereal, boxes of cereal. Well, you go into some of these larger stores and they're able to have an entire aisle. There's hundreds of difference and sizes and things like that. And they just weren't able to compete. In addition, as Gene Miller and I were talking about right before the show started at 8.30, there is the whole idea of economy of scale. What that means is... If you buy stuff, the larger quantities of stuff that you're able to buy, typically you're able to get a better price. So if I go in and say, all right, I want to buy a thousand, I want to buy a thousand cases of Diet Coke. What price, Mr. Coke distributor, are you going to charge me? They will typically charge you, they'll say, okay, well, if you're going to buy a thousand, I'm, I'm going to give you a better deal than if you buy 15 or 20 or whatever. Well, the Brennan's markets of the world, and I'm just using this as an example. I don't know how it worked with their particular Diet Coke, but but the Brennan's, I mean, Brennan's can't go and buy a 1,000 cases at once, arguably, because, you know, they just, they don't have the, the traffic to do that. So they would buy the stuff as they need it. Well, if you're doing that, you, you know, you end up having to pay more. So the margins are extremely um close on these types of things as well and so ultimately they just ended up saying they can't compete and of course you had the big recession 10 years ago where people cut back period and that ended up hurting them so now in the grocery market you you've really you you've got the the big players you've got the aldi's and you've got the woodman's and you've got the walmart's and you've got the costco's of the world and then you've got the the pick and saves, and I'm I'm sure I'm I'm leaving people out. You've got the Myers that's just come in, all these different, all these different large scale grocery retailers that are out there, and you have, for example, I mean Sendex, which is like locally owned. They've been able to somehow find a niche and continue to grow. They're opening up stores all the time, but that appears to be the exception rather than the rule. When it comes to local grocery stores. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will smaller local grocery chains or stores be able to survive five years from now, ten years from now? Will all our shopping, will we be doing all our shopping at the Costco's and the Walmarts and the Myers? of the world and that, that's not a knock on them i mean consumers get, or get to make their choices but is that the reality when fast food restaurants came into play you know the mom and pop diners started fading you know right and left now there still are some of those but there's not many grocery stores are the small stores are they going to be history are they going to go the route of brennan's in the next five or ten years my answer is 
probably. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. What, what do you think? And, you know, one of the things that I think is going to hasten it even more is the fact that now you have Amazon wanting to buy Trader Joe's and the idea that you're going to have more uh, Whole Food, right, right, wanting to buy Whole Food. And you're going to – I mean, now I think it's going to be even more online shopping, which to me is going to make it even more difficult for the small grocery store to survive. That's how I assess it. What do you think? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1015. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1017. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of the other things I think really hurt Brennan's is that as more and more of these like larger grocery chains have expanded, they've They've recognized that there is a demand for some of the higher-end, fresher type of products. I was at a, a beer-tasting dinner last night at the Eastside restaurant called Tess, wonderful restaurant, and they, they do these beer-tasting things every month. And last night it was featuring Central Waters Brewery, which is out of Amherst, and, and they did a pairing, and they had the, the folks from Hook, Hook's Cheese, which is out of Mineral Point. Hook's Cheese is great stuff. It's, it's high-end stuff. Um, it's really, really outstanding. And, you know, they were asking people, where, you know, where, where can you buy Hook's cheese? And the guy was saying, well, we're in, we're in Sendix now. And I'm like, okay, that's, that used to be the, the type of place that, you know, if, if you wanted this sort of high-end type of cheese, you, you would, you'd be going to a place like Brennan's. Well, now more and more of, of the grocery stores are recognizing that there is demand for this sort of thing, so you're able to find it in more and more places, and that means the need to go to you know one of these specialty grocery stores goes down. So what's going to be the future of what I'm describing is the mom-and-pop grocery store, the three, four, five locations? Are they going to be around a few years from now? Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Uh, I think Brennan's is kind of like a niche store uh, mm-hmm. with their fruit, their uh, cheeses, their wines, and right. stuff, and their, and, and their meats and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm not a shopper, uh, not a regular customer of those theirs, but I've gone in there off and on. And I think that if somebody, if somebody like a Syndex or somebody else could could grab them up and, and actually reshape them in that, I think that they could be around. I mean. Uh, be part of their chain or something like that. Uh, I think, like you were just saying, that some of their stuff probably has been, you know, been put to some, you know, like Syndex or right. you know, some of the other stores and stuff like that. It's kind of a shame, but I guess that's the way the thing is these days. But how big can Amazon or, or any of these other players, as you want to call them, that you call in a, in a grocery store or, or in a business or in a retail business, go before they're going to blow on up and... Uh, uh, with uh, different types of uh, antitrust suits and everything else, and uh, well, yeah, it'll, well, it'll be curious. I mean, thank, it, it'll be interesting to see. But I, I'm not sure. I mean, right now, the gross. This really is kind of the golden age of of shopping when it comes to grocery. I mean, you look at all the different grocery stores that are out there and the choices that are available. I mean, there's all these different price points. And from a consumer's perspective, it's it's really a good time. You you have you have so many different choices that are out there, whether it's the pick and saves or the Sendex or the, you know, Piggly Wigglies around or again the the larger things, the Costco's and those type of things. One of the things that I think really is also impacting the, the grocery market is that look, there there's some chains, let's face it, and I, I don't want to necessarily name them, but that that are are very, it, it's they're they're very minimalistic. Okay, the, the shot it, it's about price, 
and they're not about amenities, and you have to pay to have the cart, to have a shopping cart, and those type of things, and it's just, it's like walking into a warehouse. But that has an appeal to some sort of, that has an appeal to some sort of people. Then there's the other stores, which really, I think, helped a lot of the mom and pop stores over the years, is they have been able to specialize, whether it's the high-end meats or things like that. But what's happening is more and more of the larger chains or the national chains are recognizing it that, that there is a market for that and they're going after it and so you have somebody that goes out to you know fill in the blank costco you know you, you go out to costco and you say okay i i really want quality meat so hey you know now you know, the kind of meat that you're getting at costco might be as good as the type of meat you could get at one of the smaller places plus when you're at Costco, you've got all these other choices that are out there. I mean, that's the challenge. That's the challenge that people are facing. Mike, who is calling us from Northern Illinois. Mike, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, I appreciate sir. it. You know, I, gotta, I, you know, I like the evolution uh, of life in, in business, certainly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you know there could be some opportunities in the, in the specialty niches. But I, at, at some point, you know, I... I I ask myself, you know, what do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a society or do we want to live in an economy? And, you know, the backbone of America, you know, for, for uh, centuries was the family farm. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, well, you know, that's been under uh, uh, a lot of duress for the last 50 years or so since uh, uh, Nixon administration. Um, and and uh, I don't think the little guy has much chance in anything anymore, yeah. and, and pretty soon I think we're going to be in the, an, or, an Orwellian, um, you know, but atmosphere. Let business. me ask you this, Mike: who who is to blame for that? Now, I mean, I, and, and the reason I, what I mean is, um, I, I hear people. Everybody complains. I hear all sorts of people complain about Walmart. All right, you know, Walmart is is taking over the world. They're driving the mom and pop businesses out, and, and there there is there is truth to that. But at the flip side, um, we are we our own worst enemies because on Black Friday everybody's lined up forty, fifty, sixty people deep to run into Walmart and buy the DVD player for forty nine dollars, yeah, you, you know, know instead they, of ninety bucks. Yeah. yeah, they get whipped up into this uh, feeding frenzy. <laughs> I, I'm with you, but yeah. you know, at some point, you know, it just doesn't make sense to where you know the the, the big guys get to step on the little guys. You know, if the little guys had the same accounting uh, right. opportunities and, but, and but tools, they, yeah. but uh, but they don't. Offshore. Yeah, no, I mean, thanks well, for that's the whole point. Right, they don't. You know, and, right. No, thanks. It's I mean, not a level playing field, and no. I think what we need to do is understand that the backbone of America is mom-and-pop businesses, it's a whole lot safer, you know, to, to have, you know, uh, thousands of grocery stores uh, in a region than it is two. No, and I, um, I, I don't disagree, and I thanks for call. I guess, I mean, for example, that's one of the reasons that when, when I have my prescriptions filled, um, I, I still use a, a locally-owned pharmacy, I, I, and it's not to knock the chains. I mean, as I, as I drive home, depending on which route I take, I will drive past four or five different pharmacies. I mean, they're, they're ubiquitous in the area where I live. And, and I always go to, I still continue to go to the locally owned one because I think it's, it's important to support the locally owned business. So, I mean, I, I am doing things like that. But at the same time, I, I do notice as, as I go into the locally owned business, the, the type of things they offer 
have been dramatically cut down. I, I can go to, if I go to the, the CVS, there's a CVS and there's a Walgreens on my way home, okay? If I were to go to one of those and I walk in, in addition to just the prescriptions, I mean, they've got a big greeting card section. They've got, you know, six or seven different aisles. There's all sorts of other things I could pick up. If I wanted, if I wanted to buy deodorant or hairspray or soap or whatever, I, I'd have choices of 10 or 15 different brands you go into this local pharmacy that i patronize because it's local and you know there's maybe one brand you know and it's just and that's what they're doing but from a perspective of choice you you i can see where these businesses are are struggling because it is very very difficult to compete so you have to figure out what your niche is going to be how am i building that better mousetrap um how am i going to offer service or something to get people in but i mean i understand why i understand why people would go into again the the cvs or the walgreens because you're like all right i I want to get my prescription but while i'm here i want to pick up the shampoo and and you know if i go to the locally owned one They've got two brands of shampoo. If I go to the CVS, they've got 20 different brands, and they're probably arguably going to be cheaper. It's tougher and tougher. I don't want to see the small businesses go away. But I, I, I also, you know, Mike and I were talking about accounting. There is, like we started this segment, there is that economy of scale. I mean, the truth of the matter is if you buy – you know, 100 cases of beer from a distributor, you're going to get a better price than if you buy five cases of beer. And the, the small guy is only going to always be able to buy five cases because, you know, they're, they're just their volume isn't going to match it. it. It's a battle. I hate to see Brennan's go. I would hate to see other similar uh, stores go. I do, unfortunately, think it's the wave of the future. It's 1026. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1036, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, with Senate Republicans poised to unveil their health care bill. What three things does Scafidi and Bill Staff think have to be in there in order to pass muster? Find out at 135 as they broadcast live from Bastille Days. All right, the, there, there's a lot of discussion about the state transportation, the, the, the state budget, and one of the hang-ups is with transportation. Everybody agrees, I think, that you need to have effective and improved roads and things like that. The question is, how do we get there? One of the points I have been saying all along is, as a starting point, before you talk about raising taxes, you have to make sure that, in this case, the Department of Transportation is operating as efficiently as possible. A study released earlier this year well, it kind of indicates that when it comes to management, well, there's a lot of room for improvement that you could find in the Department of Transportation. Today, a number of Republican lawmakers are circulating a bill which would, I don't know, change the way the DOT operates. And we're joined right now by one of the authors of that legislation, State Representative Rob Hutton from Brookfield. State Representative, good morning. Jeff, good morning. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Okay, tell me about this legislation and what it would do and why there's a need for it. Yeah, so I think you set the ball in the tee appropriately, Jeff, when you talked about the fact that when we're looking at the overall state budget and in this place, DOT, and all the discussions about how we're going to fund roads going forward, I think it is incumbent upon us as Republicans and as conservatives to really be leading with, have we looked at all the opportunities to reform, in this case, the state agency of the DOT, and ensure that it is operating as efficiently as it possibly can before we start looking and peeking inside the pockets of taxpayers for more money to fund it. And you referenced the audit that came out earlier this year that made it very clear that there are ample opportunities within the DOT to do things differently, to do things more effectively and efficiently, and we are simply, as 
Representative Sanfilippo will put this legislation together with the rest of us, said we want to prioritize, as conservatives, needed areas of reform and focus there, find out what that ultimately drives in terms of not only a better product, but a more efficient product cost-wise, before we embark on this idea that we need to look at easy solutions of raising revenues. We're talking to State Representative Rob Hutton. Rob, let's talk a little bit about this, this what you would describe as a design-build-finance model. What What is that, and how would that come into play when we're talking about road building in Wisconsin? Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's a relatively new concept for a lot of people, including those in Wisconsin, but it has been a design-build model that has been used very effectively quite frankly, around the world and other countries, and in many states, even in the United States, that it's become a more popular model for how the public and private sector can work together. And in the case of roads or even vertical buildings within government, there are opportunities for this almost venture capital model for the private sector to to look at an investment in a public infrastructure and say, we can invest in this, we can control all of the design elements, the engineering elements, and the construction element, and then enter into a lease agreement with the public sector, in this case the state government or the DOT, for a long-term use and lease model for those roads in this case. There are a lot of merits to it. It is still something that is being seen more and more widely as a alternative to always publicly funding these projects, Mm -hmm. and we're simply saying it needs to be on the table as a discussion point, as an option. We want to encourage the DOT to look at this design-build model, and as projects come forward, say, what would be the alternative, and what's the benefit to the infrastructure needs in Wisconsin, and what's the benefit long-term to the taxpayers in Wisconsin? One of the components of this bill would also um, repeal the prevailing wage. How important is that in order to control costs? Yeah, it's certainly very important, Jeff, and we did some good work in reforming the prevailing wage law last session. Uh, We did maintain the state funding prevailing wage law for all state-funded projects. We need to finish the job there and free up the private sector to really determine what construction companies are best suited for those projects and let the fair market determine not only who those firms are, whether they're very viable union firms or very viable non-union firms, and set the wage scales accordingly. Uh, One of those classic cases where government inserts itself into, in this case, the wage model and does a very inadequate job doing it, and it ultimately ends up costing taxpayers significantly more money. We're simply saying, let's get government out of the business of setting wages for publicly funded projects. It's very important that we finish the job and completely repeal prevailing wage in this session, and we think it's important enough that we included it in this legislation. Rob, one of the other interesting things in the legislation, when, whenever I talk about roundabouts, my, my, my phone lines will explode. People loving them, hating them. There, there's, a, there's something in this legislation that would, would put referendum requirements for roundabouts. What's that all about? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It's one of those very contentious issues. In fact, I probably drove around three roundabouts just coming up to Madison today, and uh, people are still talking a lot about them. I think the fundamental concern in what Senator Craig introduced last session that we, again, wanted to include in this legislation is the requirement that DOT can't come into local municipalities and say, as a part of their spending agenda, they're going to incorporate 
roundabouts in certain local municipal road projects. We really want the hands of those decisions to be not only within those local municipalities, but in the taxpayers of those municipalities and require the DOT and those local entities to put a referendum when there is a recommendation for a roundabout and let the taxpayers decide, those that are using those roads day in and day out, if that's where they want to see their tax dollars spent. Are roundabouts typically more it is more costly to build a roundabout than it would be a traditional um, intersection? From what we have seen so far with the build model for roundabouts within the DOT, it is significantly more expensive to build those than the traditional intersection model. Right. There's also a provision where you deal with local wheel taxes. How would that work? Well, again, we're looking at more local control with the issue of wheel taxes and putting those decisions in the hands of local taxpayers to determine if and when they feel a wheel tax is appropriate versus those being handed down and administered through the DOT. Okay, we're talking to State Representative Rob Hutton. I, Rob, I, in some respects, I've kind of buried the lead here. The the, the state budget is, is now, tomorrow it will be two weeks overdue. Um, the hang-up, based on public reports, is a disagreement between Assembly leadership, and you're in the Assembly, and yeah. Republicans in the State Senate and the Governor over transportation, one of these huge issues. Governors made it clear, no, no, no to tax increases. Senate Republicans appear to be on board. Um, your leadership doesn't appear to be completely settled on that. Where is this going and what is going to happen? Well, I think we'll see a lot of movement in the next couple of weeks, Jeff, around the fundamental issue of the DUT hang-up. I think we've seen there to be more discussion amongst not only the Assembly and the Senate, but including the governor, to come to a reasoned approach for what are we going to do to get behind this gridlock and move the state budget forward. So I anticipate in the next two weeks we'll see some discussions come out and some agreements that say, here's what the appetite is in both houses and in uh, the governor's office for mending the discrepancy and the disagreement with it. I think it will play out in the favor of those conservatives who say we want to put the priority around how we are serving taxpayers well. And if that means spreading out projects, if that means prioritizing projects, if that means at the same time trying to reduce the bonding long-term liability, I think we are seeing more direction that way, which I would argue is a good thing. And I think we'll wind up in a good place ultimately and get that passed. Do you think that the assembly leadership is prepared to move off of gas tax increases at this point in time or other revenue generating things as and look to perhaps other ways of funding of figuring out the transportation problem? Yeah, Jeff, that's a really good question. I would answer it with I hope so, and I think we are seeing some nudging that direction knowing that there isn't the support within the caucus for those revenue raisers. There certainly isn't an appetite without there being a major reform component to it. And I think we're hearing from the taxpayers in Wisconsin that they're looking for a more effective government, not a more costly government. And so I think there is raising support, not only from the outside, but inside the caucus for let's find alternatives to do something meaningful, 
relative to long-term solutions for DOT without there being a revenue-raising element to it. Well, and that's why it was it was so interesting, Representative, when when I when I saw that you guys what you were putting together because I found myself wondering if this if this is perhaps a, a starting point and a roadmap to solve the, the budget impasse. Let's let's start with trying to make these reforms and yeah. see where that goes as an alternative to saying let's increase taxes. Well, you're right, and I think we have to acknowledge that the, the gap is large enough that it's not going to be solved in this budget session, but there needs to be a trajectory change for ultimately solving it. So if we can put some solutions in place that have long-term impacts that change the trajectory ultimately for how costly road projects are and how we're funding them in the state of Wisconsin, that's really where the focus needs to be. Um, I get a little bit leery about looking at revenue-raising opportunities that appear to fix the short term, but then have long-term consequence impacts and results going forward. And so I'm hoping and hopeful that the discussion is more around, let's look at government reforms that we know will pay big dividends going forward. And I think that's what the taxpayers in Wisconsin sent us to Madison to do. I'm sitting behind the microphone nodding my head. Uh, State Representative Rob Hutton, thanks for spending some time with me this morning. I appreciate it. Jeff, thank you. Good talking with you. Absolutely. That's uh, State Representative Rob Hutton from Brookfield. Let me let me give you the the, the, the takeaway of, of that. First of all, you know, this this bill to reform the um, the Department of Transportation to try to look at different models for how we you know commission road building. But other than the takeaway, and this is something I have been waiting to hear for a long time. I, I think assembly leadership for too long has locked onto we want to raise revenue. We, we want to talk about raising gas taxes or imposing a sales tax in addition to the gas tax, those type of things, which are politically, it's political suicide. And it's a non, I think it's, it's been made clear by both the governor and the Senate that it's a non-starter. So why bang your head against the wall? And my argument has been if, you know, if Republicans in the assembly seriously want to run on increasing taxes, fine. Pass this budget, and then what you do is then you know come back a year from now and next summer go to your constituents and campaign on a policy of we want to raise the gas tax or we want to impose a sales tax or we want to do toll roads. If you want to run on that, run on it. Um, my guess is if that's going to happen, it's going to be an electoral bloodbath. But I was actually glad to hear Representative Hutton say, I think leadership is hearing from more and more of the rank and file members that there's not an appetite for tax increases and i hope assembly leadership listens it's 1048 this is jeff wagner it's 1052 jeff wagner 620 wtmj now you might be asking why why are we using Kid Rock bumper music right there? Well, because, okay, Kid Rock, whose real name is Robert James Ritchie, Kid Rock, Robert James Ritchie, is in the news because he announced yesterday, and, and this, by the way, th- this isn't, this does not appear to be a joke. Um, he is apparently seriously considering getting involved in running for the United States Senate out of his home state of Michigan. Um, he is apparently considering, you know, running as a Republican. He's a Republican. At what, 
you know, Ted Nugent, him, and country music artists. You know, that, that's it. But, you know, he, he's one of the rare things in the entertainment industry. He is a conservative Republican, and he's thinking of um, challenging the incumbent Democrat. Her name is Debbie Stabenow. Um, she's up for reelection in 2018, and Kid Rock is thinking of, of running. Matter of fact, uh, he's, they've already got a website, kidrockforsenate.com. And they're they're saying that they're going to have a major announcement in the near future. The uh, Michigan Republican Party they're saying that um, that they think it would be actually awesome. Now, if he did, I understand. Um, here, here's what it, it, it's kind of interesting because you might say, okay, Kid Rock, but but see here here's the deal. He says uh, I'm definitely Republican on fiscal issues in the military. I lean to the middle on social issues. I'm no fan of abortion, but it's not up to a man to tell a woman what to do. As an ordained minister, I don't look forward to marrying gay people, but I'm not opposed to this. Um, so, um, interestingly enough, uh, that that seat. If Kid Rock were to win that seat, he would be the first Republican candidate to win that particular seat since 1998. Uh, the incumbent has had the seat since 2000. So, I mean, she's been there for, well, um, more than she's, she'll have been there for multiple terms. So um, just finishing her third term. So Kid Rock saying he's thinking about getting in. Now, I understand maybe people are rolling their eyes. OK, Kid Rock. But I mean, seriously, think about this. Is it? Is Kid Rock, as a Republican from the U.S. Senate, is that really any more unbelievable than Jesse the Body Ventura as the governor of you know Minnesota? Is it any more unbelievable than Al Franken as, again, the U.S. Senator from Minnesota? Whenever I, I see Franken on, on TV or talking about policy issues, I just keep flashing back to him in the movie Trading Places, where he kind of plays the stone baggage, you know, handler. And I'm, I'm thinking, actually, I don't think Al Franken has traveled that different. I think in many respects, you look at some of the things he says and does, he's still that stone baggage handler. This time, you know, he's not in the movie. He's just um, in Washington. And, of course, you know, who thought Donald Trump, you know, reality TV star, who thought Donald Trump could be president? So for anybody rolling their eyes saying, no way Kid Rock could get elected to the U.S. Senate, um, stranger things have, in fact, happened. It's 1055. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1058, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in just a couple minutes, the president says everybody would have done it. Really? We will discuss, and then uh, at 1130, it's Thursday, we kind of put aside some of the heavy lifting, and Pop Culture Corner today is going to be a fun one that everybody will be able to participate in. It's one of those topics that everybody's going to have an opinion on, I guarantee it. And there was a story yesterday, I didn't get a chance to mention, but it, it it's good for Wisconsin, but it also raises this larger issue. Um kicked to the curb right now with the discussions about health care and tax reform have been the whole notion of trade policy and whether or not it's a global economy and where we should be on, on trade issues. And I mean, candidly, one of the hesitations I've had about the current administration is this idea that, I mean, I, I believe that you have to look out for your own interests, but at the same time, you have to also have to be careful about being too much of a protectionist. Here's this story. Oshkosh Corporation is about ready to to seal. I mean, apparently, they're, they're on the verge of getting a, wait for it, $1 billion, B as in billion, dollar deal to build military trucks for the United Kingdom. 
deal it has sale hasn't been concluded but i mean they're they're in this process this would be absolutely huge for um this company that the company right now um you know employs about 3700 people in their defense division most of them are working in the fox valley i mean this contract this would be good paying jobs for thousands of wisconsin residents for a long time and i, I bring this up because th- this is trade I mean, you know, this is, okay, we've got the United Kingdom who is buying our goods and services. This is a big deal for a state company. If you start saying, all right, well, this is good. You know, we want to do this. But at the same time, we're going to put all sorts of restrictions on, for example, um, what we're bringing in from other countries. Where where does that play out? you got to be really careful when it comes to trade. It's 11.09. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. It is Thursday morning in the 11.30 segment. We do Pop Culture Corner. It's going to be a fun one today. All right. Um, I, I went through this a little bit yesterday, but given given the fact that there's people presumably wearing tinfoil hats that are out there off their meds, banging on the, oh, Donald Trump Jr. is going to prison theory, I, I, th- I think it's important to kind of take a step back. Um, there are... When it comes to donating to campaigns, there are campaign finance laws that put limits on the amount of money that people can give. They put limits on, you know, um, who can give certain amounts of money. And they have reporting requirements as to, at least as to donations to candidates, what has to be reported. As a general rule, there are two types of contributions. There are direct contributions. Hondo is running for the U.S. Senate. I think he would make a great Senate term. And so I want to contribute. So I write him a check for $1,000. That is what is known as a direct contribution. It is a contribution of money to Hondo's campaign. He has to report it. You know, that's where you see, you know, and there's all different times when you have to, there's all different time limits. That's why you'll see, okay, for the first six months, um, Governor Walker raised X amount of dollars. There's a campaign finance report that you have to put together that lists all your receipts, that is who gave you money, and, you know, how you spent that money. This this law applies to the candidates. There's different rules if it's not a candidate, uh, but rather it's a, you know, a, a one of these like 501c3s or some of the political action committees but for candidates you get money you have to report it that is a direct contribution there are also what is known as in-kind contributions now what's an in-kind contribution let's say i want to support hondo and i want to help him raise money so i say i tell you what we're going to i would like to host a fundraiser for you and i'm going to invite a bunch of people over to my house And we're going to ask them all to donate money to you. So I'm going to have the party. The the costs of the party, mailing costs, if I'm sending out the invitations, uh, the cost of the booze, the cost of the food, the cost of the caterers, whatever, that that would be an in, and I pay for that, that would be an in-kind contribution. It's not directly money that I gave to the campaign, but it's money that I gave indirectly to the campaign. So that, that's that's the difference. That's what an in-kind contribution is. You also get them sometimes in more esoteric ways. Um, and the example I was using yesterday, let's say that I'm running for office 
and I'm doing a poll. I, I'm polling to see how I'm doing. Now, polls, the way it works is you, you pay pollsters based on the question, and they charge you X amount of dollars for a question. So let's say that I'm doing a poll, and I decide that I want to find out how Hondo is doing in his campaign. So I put in a couple questions about Hondo in the poll that I am paying for, and I get the results, and I share the results with Hondo. Well, okay, I, I paid for these questions. The cost of those poll questions, if I give the information to Hondo and Hondo's campaign, that's an in-kind contribution. I mean, I'm not charging him money, but I paid for something to someone else that benefits that campaign. So I would have to tell him, here's the poll questions, and that would have to be reported. The cost of that which should be reported as an in-kind contribution. So that that's the, the question. All right, that brings us to Donald Trump Jr. Everybody, I think, is familiar with the story by now. It's right before the Republican convention, but it's after Trump has locked up the nomination. There's all this infighting that is going on in the Trump campaign. Um, Donald Trump Jr. gets some email by this intermediary who says, hey, you know, I know somebody who's, I'm paraphrasing, but kind of got information from the Russian government. It's dirt on Hillary Clinton. Do you want to take a, a meeting? And he, in the exchange of emails, says, love it, let's set it up. And then they go, they have the meeting, nothing comes of it. It turns out to be a a complete and total nothing burger. But Trump and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort, who was involved in the campaign at the time, they apparently show up at this meeting. So this has, again, people just, you know, bouncing off the walls. Oh, 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 this this is a crime. Well, Well, first of all, I don't think any responsible prosecutor would that the law says that you can't solicit, accept or receive anything of value from a foreign person for a campaign. Now, I don't think in and of itself, hey, I've got some dirt on Hillary Clinton. I don't think anybody reasonably is going to interpret that to be an in-kind contribution. It just it's no responsible prosecutor is going to find that to be the case. Otherwise, every time a campaign gets a call saying, hey, I've got some dirt on, I, I want to tell you, so-and-so, that, that person running against Hondo, they're a drunk. And, okay, you're going to have to report that? You're going to have to assign a value to it? I don't think so. Now, if, for example, someone gave the Trump campaign a report, hey, I've hired six private detectives, and they've gone out and they've done this. Here's this opposition research, this summary, and you know they paid $20,000 for it, and you give it to them. Well, that's probably something that has to be reported as an in-kind contribution. But just, hey, let's have a meeting because I might have some dirt. I don't think any responsible lawyer or prosecutor is going to interpret that as being an in-kind contribution. And I understand that there's some of the, you know, we hate Trump people or the folks with the tinfoil hats that are running around going, no, 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 it's a crime. I, I don't think any responsible person is going to, you know, do that. But but that aside, regardless of whether or not a, a crime was committed, and I don't believe one was, at the same time, all right, you, you do have a representative from a foreign government um, or somebody purportedly a representative from a foreign government who reaches out to have a meeting like this. And at least in my opinion, there, all sorts of red flags should have been going off here about, all right, do I really want to be meeting with foreign nationals regarding this? 
Now, yesterday, President Trump came out, said he didn't know about his son's meeting with the Russian lawyer until a couple of days ago, and, and I believe that. But then he went on to say he did not fault his son for accepting the meeting. It was a 20-minute meeting, I guess, from what I'm hearing. Um, nothing came of it. Many people and many political pros said everybody would do that. Everybody would do that. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I could not disagree with the president more. I, I don't think everybody would would do that. Matter of fact, I don't think anybody would would do that if somebody was paying attention to what's going on. This is, I mean, I understand that political campaigns get get contacted all the time. You know, we have dirt on so-and-so here. We'd like to share it with you. And so somebody might take that meeting. I get it. I understand that's what happens. But, of course, what makes this different is that, you know, it's it's information that is being proffered. Now, there was no information, apparently, that came out of this, but it's coming from foreign nationals. No, I don't think everybody would do it. Now, I don't think there was a crime that was committed, but but from the optics of this, the optics, and I hate that cliche, but it's true, the optics are bad, and I guess I just, I don't think everybody would, would do it. And I am surprised that more season am i surprised that donald trump jr jumped at this opportunity but but do i think that no i'm not am i surprised that cooler heads or some of the people that have been around the block a few times didn't say this is a bad idea we we should not take this meeting yes i am and i i don't believe that everybody would do it do you 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. President says, hey, nothing to see here. And there might be nothing to see, but everybody would do it. I don't think so. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1118. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1121, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Actually, when I, I look at this report about Donald Trump Jr. meeting with the, the lawyer, and to me, it's an example of a campaign that wasn't ready for prime time, that, that this didn't send up all sorts of red flags. Now, I will also tell you that, you know, under different circumstances, this could have ballooned into something much different. It, it, it just didn't. And people who are arguing, oh, this is in-kind contributions, this is going to be a crime, I, I, I just... Maybe you have an aggressive prosecutor who wants to take that theory, in which case they're probably going to end up having to prosecute most members of the U.S. Senate, most members of the U.S. House, and all sorts of state officials as well. If every time somebody comes to a campaign and says, I have dirt on a particular candidate, and you say, oh, tell me about it, if that has to be treated as an in-kind contribution. So I, that's that's not going to happen. But having said that, the president's response yesterday is that everybody would have taken this meeting. I don't think so. Rick in Oconomowoc. Rick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi there. Hi. Good morning. Um, my, my comment is uh, I don't think everybody would. And... Uh, Where's Rance Priebus and all this? Rance is a, you know, he's an educated guy. He knows about this. I I don't see him anywhere anymore. He just he seems to have disappeared. He's chief of staff, correctly. Yeah. No, you mean where is he on the on the, the revelations in the last week, or where oh, was he yeah. back in, in June of 2016? Chief of staff. Yeah. Wouldn't he know about this stuff, or is he so oblivious to it 
said he doesn't have a clue. I don't know anymore. Well, Bo Rick, well, he wasn't chief of staff. And th- this happened, I mean, this meeting happened in two, June of 2016 um, when Reince was the chairman of the Republican National Committee. Um, this was having to do with the Trump campaign. Now, if your question is, why hasn't he been commenting on it in the last five days? Well, I think that's, that, that one's kind of self-evident. I, I don't know that there's much that the chief of staff can say about this other than probably sitting in his office, rolling his eyes, going, oh, my gosh, they did what? But, I mean, it, this, this happened in 2016 before President Trump was even the Republican nominee, much less president of the United States. So I I. I don't. I don't know that you can lay this one on on Reince Priebus. I don't think anybody suggests that uh, Priebus knew about it. This was Donald Trump Jr. And and actually, there's a couple of interesting analyses about what I think people think happened here. Um, this, right now, that was a time when I think the the fact that the Trump campaign had done as well as it had had surprised a lot of people, and there were all these little power struggles that were going on. I mean, somebody, some people were wondering, okay, why did Paul Manafort, who was the campaign advisor, campaign manager, you know, why why did he attend a meeting like this? This was a guy who's a seasoned operative. What would he be doing? And one of the theories is that everybody's struggling for power here. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. was trying to assert himself and that Manafort just didn't want to get in the middle of that and say, hey, this probably isn't a very good idea. Because the truth of the matter is, and again, I don't care if you're a, I don't care, you know, whether or not you think this is a non-story or not. You might be right. But this was, in my opinion, still just a really, really, really um, bad idea. Uh, let's see. Mitch and Sturgeon Bay writes, I don't think anybody except the Trumps and Clintons would engage in this activity. I'm skeptical that this is based on naivete. Both outfits are arrogant and assume that the rules of propriety don't apply to them. Jim says, who paid for flight, lodging, and expenses? Those costs could be in kind. We don't know what they learned um, until they have contact with a lawyer. Um, I just, I, well, I, I don't think there's any evidence that the Trump campaign flew the lawyer around. I think this was just, here, come on over and we're going to have this meeting. And again, nothing came of it. Bad optics, unseemly. And no, I don't believe that everybody would have done it. I think this was naivete at at its best. Now, it's being played as more than that. But once again, it ends up being a complete and total distraction. I mean, even Donald Trump Jr. saying, if I had it to do over again, I, I would have done it differently. Yeah, I, I think that's the, the case. Now, who knows how long this particular Russia, Russia, Russia element is going to go on. And I know this is going to be the subject of testimony and things. But um, I, I, at the end of the day, I think it's a nothing burger. But again, it's a self-inflicted nothing burger. It's 1125. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1127, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, here's a story from the world of sports. Um, does impact the Brewers. The Chicago Cubs, who have arguably been the most disappointing team in Major League Baseball so far. I mean, World Series champions um, flirting with 500. They're five and a half games below the Brewers. They, um, they just made a big trade. And interestingly, with the Chicago White Sox, the Cubs and White Sox almost never trade with each other. Cubs gave um, four prospects, including um, a, a couple of their this top-rated prospects. Um, they ended up picking up this uh, left-handed pitcher, Jose Quintana, that the Brewers had been rumored to want to go for. So the um, Cubs trade away a couple of their top prospects. Again, it's prospects. It's nobody that's you know on the team, on the major league team right now. 
but uh, they pick up uh, Jose Quintana, who is under their control for the next couple of years. But uh, I, I read the Chicago – part of preparing for the show, I get a series of newspapers that I read. And I, 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 love, I love reading the Chicago Tribune sports section because when, when the Bears are playing badly – People are just, I don't know, I mean, call it schadenfreude. I just i just get pleasure as a Packers fan watching people you know, talk about the Bears. And the same thing is true this year. I mean, with the Cubs, there's, on the one hand, there's some people who say, oh, the Cubs will come out of this. But, you know, you've now got a sample size, you know, pushing 90 games. And a lot of people are saying, hey, there, there's some problems with that. Um, this, to me, it's probably, a, it's a decent-sized move, but they've given away some big, big prospects. But it does... There is an air of panic about this. Um, their general manager was saying, no, 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 we don't need to go out and make these big deals. We can handle it. And apparently they think that they end up needing to do that. It'll be curious. A lot of times a lot of times, these trades don't work out. The players that come over, they just don't perform as well. And this Quintana guy is, I mean, I mean, career record of 50 and 54, um, pitching better um, in June and July. But... I don't know that the guy's necessarily an all-star stopper or anything like that. But uh, Cubs are making the move. They think they need to do it to compete with the Brewers. Isn't that an interesting thing? Question's now going to be, will Brewers general manager David Stearns respond? And if so, how? All right, we've reached that time in the week. We've got Pop Culture Corner coming up. It's going to be a fun one today. It's fun every week, but particularly fun this week. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Okay, it is that time of the week that we put aside the heavy lifting. We stop talking about the transportation problems in the state of Wisconsin. We even stop talking about Donald Trump. Whenever I, whenever I do these topics, I get swamped with these emails from people on both sides. Why are, you, why are you picking on the president? And then, oh, don't you realize, don't you realize this is it. This is the smoking gun. How can you say that nothing came out of this? This is going to be an investigation. This is going to bring Trump down. No, 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 it's not. But, you know, I can only tell you to get a grip so much. Um, We kind of lighten it up. This is a segment I call Pop Culture Corner. We do it this time every week. Sometimes we talk about movies, sometimes books, sometimes food, sometimes travel. Just um, whatever is going on in a particular week that happens to tickle my fancy that I hope that you will find interesting as well. Today we turn to the world of television, something that we can almost all relate to. Everybody watches TV. Now, the big news this week is the return of the HBO show Game of Thrones, Season 7. I, I mentioned this yesterday in a sort of different context. I, um, I'm in the process. I, I read the first book. And there's what I think there's there's four more books that are out there. They're very difficult. They're 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 dense. You have to you have to really commit to reading them. They're not an easy read. But if you're a fic, if you're a fan of that kind of science fiction fantasy, whatever you genre you would describe that, they're they're very good. And it's an intricate world and things like that. I read the first one. I have all the other books. Um, and there's uh, the, the you know the author he's got a, one or two more to finish this. Um, but I, I so I. I made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to watch the show because I, I wanted if, – if you watch the show, all right, a lot of times then you know what happens and things like that. I, I wanted to read the books. So I, I've made the decision I'm not going to watch the show until after I read the books, which given how long it took me to read the first book – might I don't know that I'll ever get around. I'm not sure I have enough time left to end up watching the show, but that's kind of the decision I made. But a lot of people are, in fact, doing that. And, of course, Game of Thrones is a very, very buzzworthy TV show. 
I know what is going to happen over the course um, for fans. Um, I know what is going to happen for people who want to know what is going on, and that is that over the next few days, or maybe last week or the week before that, people started you know binging, binge watching you know previous seasons to try to either remind them of what had happened or to try to catch up if they had missed shows. Uh, Game of Thrones, I'm told, is a very, very binge-worthy type of thing. So my guess is there's been people, like I say, fans that have um, been spending some time binging on on shows. I know that happened with Breaking Bad. Um, Breaking Bad was one of these shows that that built slowly. It, It had all sorts of word of mouth, and unlike a lot of TV programs, the audience grew over time. And what happened is people, even if you came in in season three or four, you wanted to know what happened beforehand, so people would sit down and they would watch. You know, we're gonna sit and watch, you know, a year or two of the shows, we're going to sit there, going to watch five or six or seven all in a row. We're going to commit to doing this. We are going to catch up. Breaking Bad was a very binge-worthy show. Game of Thrones, probably a binge-worthy show as well. All right, want to have a little bit of fun on a Thursday morning. We need a little bit of fun. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In honor of the return of Game of Thrones, what is the TV program that you find to be most binge-worthy <laughs> is the phrase that I'll use. And I, I understand that is perhaps not a word, but for our purposes, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, that show that if it was one that you had, all right, you had a weekend and it was a rainy weekend and you didn't have anything else to do, that show that you would like to, whether it's you know on demand or that you've got all these things DVR'd or whether you've got the collection of DVDs and you want to sit down and watch it, the most binge-worthy show. And it doesn't, by the way, have to, have, to have to be like an anthology show where, like, for example, like Game of Thrones, where, you know, they tell an ongoing story. Maybe it's just a show that, you know, I really like that show, and I could sit down and I could watch three seasons of blank, you know, and be perfectly contented. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, the most binge-worthy show on television or that you know you that has ever been on television by the way we are also as we almost always do we are live streaming this on facebook live so you can go to facebook.com slash 620 wtmj we have turned on the lights in the studio and you can participate that way as well um my advice always in these segments is go with your first instinct sometimes people try to overthink this and um, our phone lines tend to jam up so call early want to get to as many calls as possible we'll take a break and then we're back it's pop culture corner in honor of the return of game of thrones the most binge-worthy tv show ever it's 1140 this is jeff wagner stick around Jeff Wagner, 620 WT. See, I wouldn't know that that's the Game of Thrones theme. I've, I've never, again, I, I I have not seen the Game of Thrones, but people are going to be binging. We're talking about the most binge-worthy show as part of our pop culture corner. Uh, let's see. We're also live streaming this on Facebook Live, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Um, couple of uh, Rich Man, Poor Man. Yeah, that was a miniseries. I remember the Nick Nolte thing. Tammy uh, sends us Doctor Who. That's a good one. All right, let's start with, uh, let's see, let's go to Hank in Greendale. Hank, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Far and away, Mad Men. <laughs> yeah, the, the Mad Men lived the life I wanted to lead. Are you kidding? <laughs> it didn't end up well for most of them, but, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, you yeah. know, it, 
but they were jumping from bed to bed, which I loved. It was great. <laughs> yeah. You got to talk to your wife about that there, Hank. Yeah, no, Mad Men, um, I actually was not in as much into Mad Men as some people were, but I, I have been, they're, they're re-showing it. There's something I have, there's some, I don't even know which cable station it is, but they're they're rerunning it like at 5 o'clock uh, every night. They've got one episode, and I've been watching some of them. Um, let's talk to, uh, let's see, Russell in Brookfield. Russell, you're on 620 WTMJ, the most binge-worthy show ever. I actually, Mad Men was very good. I watched that yeah. one, too. But the best one that we liked was The Good Wife. Okay. It used to be on Sunday nights. And it was very interesting because there was always two stories going on. There was the illicit love affair between two of the attorneys there, one one of which was married, whatever, blah, 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 the female lead. But then there was also the people that they were, it was a law office. Right. So they always had these odd cases that they were trying and everything. And they were they were always interesting. So you could watch, you could watch a bunch of those back-to-back, huh? Oh, exactly. No question. What was the name? Of, okay, she was in ER. Well, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. What was the name of the the star, the woman who was the star of that? She was. Uh, um, and I are drawing the same blank. Okay. Uh, again, and she was in years ago. She was in um, uh, General Hospital, not General Hospital, well, ER. ER yeah, no, right. right. I mean, Margulies is is that it? Juliet Margulies is that Ju- Juliana Margulies? Yeah, I remember her from ER. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dave in Racine. Dave, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How about the Twilight Zone? I mean, even though, you know, Rod Sterling shows stories were even, uh, are timeless, and some of them are even prescient when you look at, like, the uh, anti-fascist uh, you movement, and you see the actual fascism that can become from leftism nowadays. I, you know, I... Um, I it, you know, I get drawn into those. All, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen, you know, the, the zones. But, you know, it seems like over, like there's over Labor Day or sometimes different holidays, like the Sci-Fi Channel will have a, a Twilight Zone marathon. And I swear, I'll, I'll end up, I will spend two or three hours, even though I've seen some of these multiple times, I'll watch them again because they're still cool, even if you know what's going to happen to them. And some of the, you know, like the, the one with uh, Ed Wynn, the, the pitch man, that one is always, you know, a great one. And, you know, there's, I could, you could name a myriad of oil. Oh, oh yeah, we, you're right. We, think, we we could devote an entire segment to people's favorite Twilight Zone uh, shows. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Okay, the most binge watchable show around. I, I would throw in one if you haven't seen Justified, which went off the air last year. Um, that was I, that I thought that was a really good show. That was one where you could sit down. And if you started watching a season, you would get sucked in, and next thing you know, it's nine or ten hours later, and you're going, oh, my gosh, you know, what's what's happened? I started at noon, now it's midnight. But, you know, aside from taking a bathroom break or two, you'd be completely happy. Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, i got to say Sopranos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, to be honest, anything from HBO, uh, any of their series. Well, I mean, yeah, I think some are better. I mean, I think The Wire, you know, is another one where you could sit and watch. You could sit and watch all, you know, ten episodes of a given or twelve episodes, however many there were, of of a given right. season of The Wire. Yeah, I think The Sopranos. No, thanks. I think The Sopranos. Too. As a matter of fact, I've done that. Um, the Sopranos is a show that I think, like a lot of shows, maybe went on too long, and I know that's heresy if you loved it, but I, I, start, I thought they started repeating plot lines and things like that. But the first couple years in particular, I just thought was really was really incredible. Let's talk to Paul in Milwaukee. Paul, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Well, Jeff, I'm a political junkie, uh, probably like you are. i got to go with House of Cards. Okay. Um, have you watched all the seasons of it? I have watched, I just started on the new season. Okay. Okay. And uh, I've watched all of the previous seasons. Now I've just gotten into the new season. 
Kevin Spacey is just great in this, and <laughs> yeah. I, I just love it. It's a great show. He um okay now that's one that you don't have to. I mean the the way it works on Netflix, they, they when they drop them, they drop them all at once, right? So I mean you can yeah. You, okay, yep. how long will it take you to watch a season? Will you spread it out, or will you watch two or three episodes at the, at a given time? Yeah, I do. Well, I do two. I I try to do two at a time. Right, right. So and you so you will finish the season relatively quickly, I would imagine. Yeah, my wife doesn't like it, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, it's, I, thanks, God. Yeah, that's it. That that is the that is the thing about like shows like House of Cards on Netflix that you you know you don't have to wait. You know, it's just, they're they're all out there, so you can do it um, in your own speed. House of Cards, I I, I highly recommend. It, it's based on it, it's originally based on a British uh, miniseries that ran for three years. I highly recommend that. I, I actually I watched the first two seasons of House of Cards off of Netflix, and then I thought it started getting, even for that that type of genre, I thought it got started getting too weird. I, I've I've kind of I've haven't been in touch with that for the last couple of years, but I, I'm a big fan of Kevin Spacey. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Let's talk to um, let's see um, Tara in Racine. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. I have to say billion. Because oh. I've been following the actor, the main actor in there from Homeland, which right. is, you know, who, yeah, who got executed at the, you know, at one of the uh, one right. of the episodes of Homeland. But I also followed Homeland as well as Billions. Uh, though it's interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah, see, that's it. I, you know, it's funny. I didn't. Um, I, I watched the first season because I, I thought I okay. I mean, the, the, one of the, the the Paul Giamatti characters, the U.S. Attorney for the New York, and yeah. I, I thought I could really. Yeah. I actually. I, I kind of lost interest in that. Was the second season good? Yes, yes, I thought it was good. You okay. Know what I mean, it just, but you know what? It tells me about corporate America. It tells me about what's going on these, these days, you know. Right. The greed that goes on. And it's all about money and greed, which I'm not interested in, but right. it's kind of <laughs> like, it's laughable. You know what I mean? No, it's, no. Yeah, I, I, yeah. So and you, I right. love the character that played the district attorney. I saw him in the movie Sideways, which I thought he did great. Right, Paul Giamatti, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, I like him a lot. Yeah, no, he's been in a, and he played, you know, he's in John, well, he's done a lot of stuff, but you're right, yeah, he was in Sideways um, as well. 414-799-1620. Al in Madison. Al, good morning. Hey, Jeff, hope you can hear me. I'm calling. Uh, I can, gotcha. Driving here. Uh, my, my go-to show is shameless i just uh, love that show and have for many years <laughs> you know shame you know it's as a matter of fact on our on our uh, w on our facebook line it's explaining a lot of people are saying shameless which is the showtime show um i actually got into that by binge watching i uh, people were telling me what a good show it was and i think yeah. i had missed the first season so before the second season premiere i sat down over the course of a weekend you wonder why I have no life, and, w- and watched like all ten or twelve episodes. You know, kind of getting into it, and it was, it was good. I, I have to tell you, that's another one I've sort of lost interest in as time has gone on. But it's, it's, it's really, it, it's a funny show, and yeah. it, yeah. Now again, I again, it's one of these where, and um, what's her name, Emmy Rossum is, is just who kind of makes the show, and William Macy. It, it's just. I guess Shameless would be another one where I just kind of lump into the idea that maybe that they've kind of run out of ideas, and that happens a lot of times with uh, different programs. It's just, you know, it's the reality. But if people still like it, people still like it. All right. Um, Renee in New Berlin. Renee, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Jeff. Hi. Right now I'm really into the X-Files. Oh, Okay. Yeah, it's an oldie but right. goodie. It's it's uh, with David Duchovny, sure. Yeah, I ended up getting the whole um, nine seasons, and <laughs> I'm into watching them right now. How, how far into the nine seasons are you? 
Right now I'm just on the first one because I don't have a lot of time to just sit and watch it. <laughs> yeah, but but <laughs> no. No, it, I... it's good. And one other one my husband and I both love to binge watch, and we've done it more than once, is The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I, matter of fact, uh, thanks to call on our on, bo- on our both the text line and our Facebook Live page. A lot of people are saying that. Now here's an interesting one on Facebook Live. David writes, Northern Exposure. Okay, I, I am guilty of that as well. I have all the DVDs um, of all the seasons from Northern Exposure, which was just this very, very odd you know, TV show that ran on CBS a number of years ago about a doctor that was in um, Alaska. It was just, it was an odd show, a quirky show. And as somebody who is a little bit quirky themselves, it, 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 it had an appeal to me. Um, let's see, Terry writes, Breaking Bad is the best. Yeah, I think it would be tough to argue about Breaking Bad. Uh, let's see, Bill sends us a note, a short-lived show, Sleepy Hollow. Uh, Charles says, Star Trek, The Next Generation. I can't get enough, can't wait for the new Star Trek that's coming out here. All right, let's talk to Steve in Wauwatosa. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Um, I had a chance to chime in on this. I appreciate that. Sure. For someone who's never had cable, who's always had a TV antenna, and also worked uh, as a workaholic, I never got to watch any of these programs that you're talking about. Right. Three months ago, I found myself landlocked in a house with Netflix for <laughs> almost 25 days. Right. So for the first time, I actually binged watched a program, and it right. was Blacklist, and, uh, which was a, a fantastic program. I've seen a couple of blips every once in a while on a commercial. But uh, the blacklist, along with Northern Exposure, as a matter of fact, <laughs> yeah. um, you start to watch that, and they always had all these untied ends at the end. And then later on, as you get into these programs, it, it kind of melted together again. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. thank God for uh, Netflix and yeah. videos and binge watching. Yeah, the- I have to say, uh, you get a good bottle of wine and the right cheese <laughs> and crackers, and you can sit there with a free conscience and say to yourself, Everyone's doing this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't don't feel right. Don't life. don't feel guilty at all. Yeah, those are all good ones. Um, Homeland. Let's. See, I'm just going through all the NCIS. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that uh, the woman in my life, Fran, she's she she could watch Friends. She'd be into Friends. Um, Better Call Saul. Let's see. Designated Survivor. Uh, Blue Bloods. All sorts of things. Lots of votes for Dexter. Shameless. All sorts of things. I'm out of time with this segment, but uh, you can watch a replay. We do it at Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. The conversation continues. Yeah, for me, it would probably still be Breaking Bad, but there's a lot of good ones out there. The Wire as well.